We are excited and expectant for you to see God move in your life. Welcome to this place of hope. My name's Nate, if you haven't met me yet, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Church. And today, we're going to jump back into a verse from last week called Genesis 1:27. Every week, we go to the Word of God. We believe it's alive and active, not archaic but alive and active, and we want to see it speak to your life today. When Genesis, God was talking about creating man, he created a kind. Everybody say kind. The Bible says when God created mankind, it didn't say he created male. Isn't that interesting? He created mankind. He created a kind. And today we're picking up part two of a talk that we started last week called, Whose Kind Is It Anyway? I'm going to say, Whose Kind Is It Anyway? Then turn to your beautiful neighbor, your really cute people next to you, and say, whose kind are you anyway? <laughs> whose kind are you anyway? And this is sweets. It's not like some, this is my kind of people, those are my kind, stick with your kind. No, this is like sweets. Whose kind are you anyway in Jesus? You know, keep reading Genesis 127. Let's look at it together. It's a, a three-part talk right here, right here. So God created mankind, mankind, in his own image. You were created in the image and likeness of God, mankind, male and female. Look, in the image of God, he created them. Ever say them. That's a two people word, two types word. Male, and then it breaks it down. Male, just in case you're confused, male and female, he created them. So there it is, the them broken out, male and female, he created them. So God created a kind first, and that kind was like him. It was in his image. I want to encourage you, just go check out YouTube, watch last week's experience, because it will really help you understand what we're talking about in a much better way, okay? We saw God, he created a mud man named Adam, okay? And he breathed blood into him. I know that sounds crazy, but he breathed blood. Why do we say he breathed blood? Because Leviticus tells us life is in the blood. The life of the flesh is actually not in the flesh, it's in the blood, it's not in the oxygen, it's in the blood. And he breathed blood into the first Adam. If you remember, spiritual things were hidden in the natural blood. So there's a spiritual thing hidden in the natural. Again, last week we talked a lot about it, that life was in the blood. So God's life, God's DNA was in the blood of the first Adam. Okay? The problem is when Adam sinned, he fell short. Death came to life. We get excited about Jesus around Easter and this Rise series because death was defeated by Jesus, but Adam actually brought death to life. Where does death live? Well, after sin, death came to life in the blood. I know it's thick, but again, watch last week. You're going to catch this really easily. So if God was going to correct Adam's sin and give mankind life forevermore, he said, I came to earth that you might have life and life abundantly, both here on the earth and eternally in heaven. Okay? And he says, if we're going to ever get mankind, male and female, what I created, life forevermore back, he's going to have to fix the blood problem because Adam's blood is contaminated. Not just the natural, I'm talking about the spiritual breath of God breathing the blood of God into Adam. And so it's so contaminated that the Bible says, I can sin and it will affect my seed for four generations. 
I can sin, I can make a mistake, and it'll affect my seed for four generations because now curses are in the blood and sickness is in the blood and problems are in the blood and addictions are in the blood and relational patterns that are broken are in the blood. Depression is in the blood. That's why when you go to the doctor, you say, Doc, I've got these six symptoms of depression. They're going to start asking you about your father's health history. Not because they care about your father, because they care about you, and it's all about your father's blood. Doc, I'm going bald. What can you do for me? Well, was your, was your, was your, was your, let's see, your mother's father bald? Because you got a problem. It's in your mother's father's blood. Because they know if it was in his blood, they're probably going to find it in your blood. Because whatever gets in the blood lives on. Because life of the flesh, Leviticus says, is in the blood. So depression lives in the blood. If you struggle with depression, your parents probably struggle with depression. And their parents probably struggle. If you just struggle with alcoholism, it's like a known fact that your parents probably struggled with addiction. And their parents probably struggle. And there's weaknesses and propensities and twists and iniquities in the blood. It's like I have a propensity towards this thing. And if you don't get your blood fixed, you are in that same condition forever. There's no, hell, there's no hope to change your condition outside of getting your blood attended to. So what did Jesus Christ come to earth to spill? He came to spill his blood because everything that had to be changed was living inside the blood. That's why your healing is available in the blood of Jesus. Your emotional healing, your physical healing, your spiritual healing, it's found in the blood of Jesus. That's why we say your deliverance from depression I mean, people can help you with that, but the blood of Jesus can heal you from that. Your freedom from that addiction, it's found only in the blood of Jesus. You can go tell yourself, I am this, I am this, I am this, to remind yourself. But true freedom doesn't come in reminding yourself of, I am an alcoholic. Hi, my name's Nate, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name's Nate, and I'm an alcoholic. That might remind you of what you are, but true freedom is not found in reminding yourself. It's found in the redemptive blood of Jesus, not your power to remind yourself not to fall into it. And I got nothing against those groups or nothing against those patterns of uh, behaviors to try to free yourself. But it's so much better because freedom from addiction is found in the blood of Jesus. Somebody else's performance, not yours by yourself. And we can pull up our bootstraps all day long and say, I can do this. I can do this. But it's a frustrating way to live. And you're never really able to say, hi, my name's Nate, and I'm not an alcoholic. Because Jesus set me free. Come on now. Thank you, Jesus. And here's, this is why Jesus came to earth. He said, I came to earth that you might have life and not just bootstrap it up and exist it out and really push through with your willpower. He said, I came to have life and life more abundantly, and I'm going to change it with the blood. So he's going to partake in the flesh of Adam, the flesh of humans, but he would not partake of the blood of humanity. He got his flesh by coming through the womb of a woman named Mary. But everybody knows it's not the female that determines the blood type. It's the male that determines the blood type. So the angel announced to sweet Mary, I'm going to overshadow you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That same pneuma breath of God. The same spirit of God that breathed into the first Adam is going to now overshadow you, Mary. And I'm going to breathe into you. And you're going to have a baby. We're going to call him Jesus. 
He's going to be amazing. God's going to use you, Mary, to give him a body, but his blood is going to come from God. And in his blood, there's no sickness. And in his blood, there is no iniquity. In his blood, there is no bondage. This is God blood flowing through Jesus. And Jesus went as far, think of how insane this is, okay? Jesus went as far as to say to his disciples and people in crowds, when you see me, you see the exact reflection of my father. You see the Godhead physically, bodily in front of you. That means father, son, and Holy Spirit. It's right here in me. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. If you've seen me, you see the spirit of Christ that lives in me. If you've seen me, you see the word made flesh in Jesus right here before you. He's saying, man, the power of blood, uh, uh, the blood of the goats and the bulls and the pigeons and the doves, the power to change the kind is not found there. But I'm coming with the power of the blood of Jesus, the blood of God, to actually change your kind again. Because in the garden... God lost his kind to sin. But in another garden, when Jesus started bleeding for the first part of his walk to the cross, he's bleeding sweat drops of blood. In another garden, he's finding his kind back. First garden, he lost his kind. And now he wants his kind back, so he sends his only begotten son. He said, I already intended to do this from before the foundations of the world, to do whatever I have to do to get my kind back, to stay in relationship with humanity, to keep mankind coming with me. I want to see the reflection in my creation. So God breathed again. Why? Because he needed to use Mary's flesh to give Jesus a body, but he knew he could not use the corruption of Joseph's seed. So we got the seed from Father God. Because the corruption was not in the flesh, it's in the, it's in the blood. It's in that breathing point where Adam started. The Bible calls Adam the first Adam. It calls Jesus the second Adam or the last Adam. Because he got a fresh start with fresh blood. The corruption was not in the blood of Jesus. So the Father said, you give the flesh and I will give the blood. And he breathed the blood into Mary and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit she came upon him and man she had a baby that was fully God and fully man all of a sudden there came this man named Jesus and in him was the fullness of the Godhead bodily and immediately everybody started looking at Jesus saying who is this boy teaching in the temple at the age of 12 what kind of kid teaches and dumbfounds professors at the age of 12 you remember that And for days, they're like, wowed by this. What kind of kid are you? What kind of man is this? Or what his disciples said. What manner of man is this? What kind of person speaks to storms and they stop altogether? What kind of man talks to trouble and the wind quits blowing? What kind of man speaks to demons and legions of them and they just start fleeing and running in terror? What kind of man speaks to a tomb and Lazarus comes forth? A dead man comes to life. What kind of person is this? What kind of man? Somebody shout with me in this place and say, Jesus is another kind. Woo! He is a different kind of God. And of his own will, we see James, last week's verse, and of his own will, because he wanted to, he brought us forth. He birthed us again. We call it being born again by the word of truth. And because God wanted to, that's what this says, he birthed us by the word of truth that we might become a kind. 
He wants you to be a different kind. He wants you to be a whole new creation. He wants to say, I want you to be a kind of first fruits like my son Jesus of his creatures. When you accept Christ and that blood hits your sin and hits your life, you are not the same kind. You are now again his kind. Something powerfully supernatural happens in the natural when you say, Jesus, I want to be born again. We always talk about that. That's a weird concept. If I'm not a believer, what does it mean to be born again? It means you become a new creation and he birthed you again. He brought us forth by the word of truth to become his kind. His blood covers our blood. He solves our sin problem and we become something different. And now you are his kind again. The original intent from the first garden. And now I'm going to get all up in your stuff. Now it's easier for you to be inclined to do the right thing rather than the wrong thing. Oh, I'm preaching now. I'm all up in your stuff now. When you really allow the blood of Jesus to cover you and to be the Lord of your life, you become a different kind. And it should be easier for you now to respond with love rather than hate in the middle of this culture. Forgiveness rather than bitterness in the middle of this culture. Good rather than evil. Why? Because you are naturally inclined to follow your kind. And now it's not hard for you to be kind because I'm of a different kind. And God doesn't say, you got to do my kind of stuff to become my kind. That's impossible. It's called church. It's called religion. No. He says, I will make you my kind so that you can do my kind of stuff. That's my Jesus. He transforms me, and then I do different kind of stuff because I'm a different kind. The kindness follows the kind transformation. So God reproduced Adam after his kind. The first man, after his kind, Adam loses his kind. He lost it. And then he starts reproducing after the flesh. And what happened? In one generation, okay, one generation, we have murder. Murder. Murder in Adam's first two sons. His first son is Cain. We have Cain killing his second son, Abel. I mean, there's just two of them. Two produced seeds, one murders the other. In one generation, we have jealousy, we have hatred, we have anger, we have more lying, more hiding crime scenes from God. We're hiding bodies from God and saying, I don't know where he is. You know what I'm saying? We have stealing from God and his offerings. We have stealing from God and our tithes. Why? Because now Adam is not producing after the God kind. He's producing after his own kind. Because a seed only produces after its own kind. They need to be born again. A different kind. Okay, now if you have kids, how many guys have kids? I just realized this morning, I have three kids now, okay? I had two for a long time. I was like, I got two kids. Now I got three now. Two of them I really know, and one of them's brand new to me. I don't really know her that well. But when you correct or discipline your kids, come on, parents, because you love them, and you try to help them to not be your kind, all you're doing is correcting and disciplining your kind of nature. I don't know what you were thinking, but you thought it was going to come out of you and you were going to get like another kind. You shouldn't be surprised, right? You made your kind. And then immediately you start disciplining your kind out of them. And you want them to stop being the kind that you actually are. It's really tough. And really it's not that big of a mystery. A seed, the Bible said, reproduces after its own 
kind. Well, pastor, I'm just blown away. And my teenager, where does this come from? What kind of kid is this? He is not what I raised when he was five. What kind? What is coming out of my kids? Wow. All you're saying is you never took the time to be honest with yourself about your kind. And to get to know yourself all the way down into your natural, normal nature. Because that's who you are, baby. Because they are you in seed form. It's like looking in a mirror. Everything you can't stand about your kids, this came from one place, baby. Right here. I think it's the funniest thing when my kids do something. I jump all over them. Sarah's just looking at me going, man, they are exactly like you. Thanks, honey. That's amazing. I see. I, the other day, I was uh, trying to pull something out of Dave's heart. His feelings were hurt, and he's the kind of stuffer. He's not a spewer. So Theo, Theo's the spewer. Dave's the stuffer. And I'm trying to get Dave to, like, open up his emotions and talk to me about what's going on in his heart. And he's exactly like my wife. He wasn't going to tell me what was really going on in his heart. And his big brother Theo, meanwhile, sitting right next to him, speaking for him like it's nothing, telling Dave why he feels the way he feels just like me. I mean, our kids are just like us. You can, can't get mad at what came out of you. If, you if, if I don't like my home, I got nowhere else further to look but right here, baby. The only person I can get mad at is me. If I don't like my business, it's not my customer's fault. It's me. It's not my employee's fault. It's the employer. If I don't like the church that I help lead, the only person I can get upset with is Nate. Why? Because you don't get what I preach. You get what I am. That's why you've got preachers who preach worship, but nobody worships. You look around, it's like a dead zone of sticks because they're not a worshiper. You can't give away what you don't own and expect to reproduce after another kind. you got preachers who preach giving, but the people don't give. Why? Because the pastor's not a giver. You don't get what I preach. You get what I am. And you get what I sow. Because a seed produces after its own kind. And here's the thing. I cannot make you what I'm not. I can only make you what I am. And that's why I jump up and down. And that's why I clap my hands. And that's why I praise God. And that's why I shout to God with a voice of triumph. That's why I plead the blood of Jesus over my family, over this authority. That's why I pray for the sick. That's why I preach with such zeal. That's why I give like I give. That's why I actually joyfully anticipate good things from a good God on Monday, on Tuesday, on Thursday, on Wednesday. Because I can't give away what I'm not. I actually believe this stuff. Why? Because it's what I am. And it's the passion with which I serve God. And I see it spilling over into the people of hope. Why? Because it's not just words to me. It's my DNA. It's of my kind. I can't help but expect something good from God. I am a person of faith. A person of hope. I got to give away the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. All I see is His goodness. All I feel is His mercy chasing me down. Everywhere I go, it's goodness and mercy of God chasing after me. That's what I give away because that's what I receive. So I want to reproduce the passion that God has given me and everybody that I can serve during my lifetime. Because every person reproduces after their own kind. If your family is miserable, look in the mirror. If you're sick of what is coming around you, take ownership. As the seed reproduces. Adam, he reproduced after his own kind. And Jesus, the second Adam, reproduces after his own kind. That's the best news you could possibly get. 
This stuff really works with Adam and your sin nature. And my God, this stuff works even better with Jesus and your new nature. Come on, somebody give Jesus a shout of praise because he reproduces after his own kind. And he's good at it. I want to tell you, it is not hard to follow Jesus because when he, you become his kind, you are inclined to be like him. And it's not hard to follow the best thing that's ever happened to you. I want to empl- that's why I employ you. Check it out. You might think you know God, but you might not really, really know the Jesus that I'm trying to give away because he is so good. It's hard to turn your back on the best thing that's ever happened to your miserable existence in life. He changed my life. He transformed me. made me a new creation. I can't do this for myself. Jesus has changed our lives. That's why when we allow the blood of Jesus to pay for our sin, we call it being born again because he does something I can't do. I'm born once. I can't do it then. He does something in me. We become a new creation. The old has passed away. Hello, Trisha. New life in Christ has come to us to stay. And where we were dead in sin, through his blood, fixing our blood, we are now raised to life in the power of Jesus Christ. This isn't just good preaching. This is good living. This transforms your life. This changes your Monday. See, when Adam reproduced... You think it's no big deal. He's just flirting with sin and eating off a tree. He goes from eating fruit in a garden to murder in one chapter. Genesis chapter 3, we're just tasting fruit. Genesis chapter 4, he's reproducing murder in his sons. Everything in the Bible, it's a picture of Jesus, even this. It shows us that Cain, the older brother, was jealous of the fact that Abel had brought an offering to God that was accepted by God from Abel. The offering that Abel brought was a lamb to God. Just the way he showed his daddy to do it. You know, those leaves of the ground, they don't cover very well. What you need to do, Adam, is to sacrifice a lamb. I'll do it for you. And then I'll give you the clothes and you cover your nakedness and your shame and your unrighteousness. And actually will cover you by the blood of the lamb. And this actually works. And Cain and Abel grew up knowing this from their dad. And you know what? The firstborn from his flock was given by Abel because he knew blood covers sin. And God accepted Abel's. First and best sacrifice. But Cain brought some of the leaves, the fruit of the ground, and offered it to God, just like his daddy did when he did something wrong. And God says, you need to go home and rethink your life, sir. And Cain was ticked. How dare you not accept what I do? I'm a planter. I'm a gardener. I'm bringing you the best I got. God had already cursed the ground and told Adam leaves don't work, and Cain knows this. And Cain's like, now, I know you curse the ground, but my human effort and control can overcome your curse. Watch me work. My ability to control my best efforts and doing it my way, I can overcome the curse that you put on the ground and the leaves. I know you told my dad it doesn't work, but I'm going to work it anyway. And this is a picture of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. The Old Testament was all about if you keep my laws and if you keep my commandments and if you observe my statutes, if you can do that, if you do, if you, if you, if you. And the whole point of the Old Testament was to frustrate you with all the if yous. So that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't keep enough if yous. I need a savior. Somebody rescue me because I just can't do all of these if yous. That's the whole point. 
of the Old Testament. And Abel says, no matter how many times I try to complete the ifus in and of myself and my own strength, no matter how many times I try to be a better person with all these ifus, no matter how hard I try, I cannot reproduce the righteousness of God without some blood covering my mistakes. Something innocent must shed its blood for me so that I can have right standing with God again. And the Bible says God accepted Abel, but he rejected Cain. Cain gets ticked, and God says, why are you angry? If, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted as well? And Cain, instead of doing what was right, Cain, the first son of man, the first reproduced seed, lures his brother Abel, who just gave his firstborn lamb, who provided a sacrifice for his righteousness. The name Abel comes from two root words, two root Hebrew words. Abel, Ab and El. Ab equals father, Abba, Abel. El is God. So Abel represents Abel, father God. And Cain would murder father God, who would bring the firstborn lamb to provide righteousness. It's all right there in Genesis. This thing is a picture of what Father God would provide for all of humanity. But watch what God does. He says to Cain, where's your brother? Cain rips back. What? How, how am I supposed to know where he is? What am I? My brother's keeper? You ever heard that before? What am I, my brother's keeper? God arrives right on the crime scene of Cain's hidden crime, and he says, well, what is this I hear? What, what do I hear? The cry of your brother's blood calls to me from the ground, from the earth. See, where the shedding of innocent blood is, judgment happens. See, you just heard something negative. I heard something positive. You see, where the shedding of innocent blood is, judgment happens. And I just get so thankful for Jesus because God will always stand with this, with this principle. Wherever the shedding of innocent blood is, I'll drop everything and I'll whoo, judgment right there. Because I just heard my Savior came all that judgment just for me to be free. Do you see how clever God is? He is so brilliant. It's a setup for your current freedom because wherever the innocent bleed out, judgment comes. God said, the voice of his blood, it cries out to me. I hear his blood screaming. Why? Because blood has the true life in it. And just because the blood has left his body doesn't mean that it doesn't have a voice. And though his body lays there dead and hidden somewhere, I hear the blood screaming from the ground. If you've ever visited any place where there was bloodshed, you can tell there's an atmosphere there around that place. Maybe if you go to Gettysburg, you'll feel like a quiet silence. It's just in the atmosphere. I remember when me and my wife, we went to Pearl Harbor, and we stood where all these bodies, over thousands of bodies, were still trapped in the boat. I remember it was surreal, and the atmosphere was so quiet, you could feel something. I remember it feeling so weird. Why? Because the life of the thing is in the blood. And when the blood is spilled, the blood cries out. Because the blood has a voice. And if the blood of man has a voice, imagine how much more the blood of God being shed, falling and shouting out and speaking. After 2,000 years later, it's still screaming out on the mercy seat. 
saying, I pay for their penalty. I mean, Jesus was completely innocent. Why, you never wonder, why would God allow? Because, why, why would he allow? Because the most righteous, perfect being, being so violently and brutally murdered and sacrificed, would create such a frequency in the blood. So much so that Romans 8.34 would say that after Jesus died and rose again, he sat down at the right hand of God where he makes intercession for us. So he sat down where he goes to work for us. So I got a question. Is he seated or is he standing? Which is it? Is he resting in his finished work, seated? It is finished. Or is he standing in the gap, making intercession for us? And the question is, how is he seated and finished and then standing in the gap, making intercession for us at the same time? Have mercy on them. You know how? His blood is working. His blood is shouting. His blood is screaming. His blood is on the mercy seat of heaven, crying out for us with such a frequency, with such a cry, that he can stay seated and his blood goes to work for him. Because he is finished and he is working. Meanwhile, the accuser, Satan, the Bible says he accuses you and I before the throne of God day and night, saying, you can't bless Nate. You can't bless him. He's done this. He hasn't done this. He thought that. He's not enough here. And the enemy's accusations actually line up with my transgressions and my sins. It actually lines up with an accurate report of what I have done wrongly. Do you know I was present and accounted for for every single sin that I committed? I was there. I was doing it. Sometimes on purpose. Did that thing on purpose. I did every single one of the things the enemy is bringing before God. And now there's a few that I would have done. I just didn't get a chance to. I mean, I am guilty. G-U-I-L-T-Y. You ain't got no alibi. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of them all. Hey, hey. Except this man named Jesus. Who probably watched NCIS or CSI. Because Jesus has something. He, he ruins crime scenes. He put his blood all over my crime scene. So it doesn't look like I'm guilty anymore. You just ruined all the things that I did wrong. And when they go in, they do a DNA swab. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, is all over my crime scenes. He has covered every ounce of my sin, and it's been removed from me. As far as the east is from the west, so your sin has been removed from you in the blood of Jesus, and it's been pinned on your perfect Savior. Jesus is guilty. And the guilty go free, and the innocent Savior pays the penalty for my crime. And this blood of Jesus Christ before the throne of God, day and night, louder than your sin, louder than your transgression, louder than your accuser. And when they look at the blood, all they see is the blood of Jesus covering your DNA. Because you became a different kind. And God the Father says, penalty paid in full. Wrath already poured out, enemy. You're right, you're right, you're right. I don't see it. There's something proven here that has covered this penalty it's been paid in full justice has already been served once and for all for every single person who calls on the blood of Jesus my son the one and only way to freedom and his blood is covering you and his blood is covering me I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus somebody who's grateful God give God some praise in this place because his blood still speaks his blood still cries out in intercession and saves 
He still heals. He still delivers. His blood still covers and cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. It says, therefore, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How? The blood has covered your crime. And the accuser literally, legally, has nothing on you. He can't touch you. It's like a courtroom. He can't get at you when you apply the blood of the lamb over your life's mistakes. Last week was all about foundation. This week's about application. Apply the blood of Jesus over your mistakes. It might feel weird the first time you do it. It might feel super uncomfortable. I want to tell you, plead the blood of Jesus. Just like this. Jesus, I apply your blood over all my crime scenes. Everything I've done wrong, I ask you to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, purify me, create in me something clean, and renew a right spirit in me. Job, in the Old Testament, he was a very, very prosperous young man, and God liked him. Don't you love that? He was doing good, and God liked him. He loved God, and he was doing good because God liked him. He had ten kids, seven sons, three daughters. That's a lot of kids. And the Bible says his sons and daughters would celebrate their birthdays. And if there's 12 months in a year and you got 10 kids, you're probably going to fill the whole year with a lot of birthday parties. The Bible says when the kids had their birthdays, they would bring all their friends and family over and they'd have big feasts for a few days. In Bible times, birthday wasn't just on the day. It kind of partied on into the night and the next day and the next day because, hey, after all, your birthday only comes once a year. Hey, La Fiesta Fun. Oh, brava. I don't know. And Job liked to throw a fully fiested party. Job loved his kids and him being a righteous man. Listen to me, men, women, leaders of the household. As priest of his home, as the gatekeeper over his lines of authority, he felt like, well, just in case one of my kids has one margarita too many, one mojito too many, one Moscow mule too many, maybe curse God in their heart and die, I'm going to cover their one too many's. Job said, I'm going to take preemptive measures to cover their one too many. And in Job 1.5, it says Job would go and he'd offer burnt offerings of a lamb or a goat to bring a blood covering over his kids. Just in case they curse God in the middle of their mess. Just in case they'd sin. Just in case they transgress. Job would plead the blood over his kids' future. Now watch this. Straight after this, the Bible says there came a day where all the sons of God came and presented themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And God says, where have you come from? He says, I've come from earth. And God's like, ooh, earth. You like earth? From the earth? Have you seen my servant Job? I love this guy. There's nobody like him. I love that man. He cares about what I care about. He hates evil. He's an incredible one of my kind. And Satan says this back to God in verse 10. Does Job care about God for nothing? Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. That's the God I serve. Now watch this. Because Job brought sacrifice, he brought offerings, blood coverings. It created a hedge of protection around his life. And only you can do this for your family and for your life and for yourself. 
In other words, Satan's like, yeah, so many times. I wanted to take Job out. I hate him. I hate him because your favor rests on him, and it's lifted from me. And I see everything right going on in his life. And people can see the blessing of God in Job, and the hand of God, and the goodness of God, and the favor. And they're paying attention to you, God. Because you work in his life, people want to be like him and worship the God that he serves. And so I've looked for a way to attack him and to confuse and to divide. And I've gone all the way around. I was trying to find a crack, just one little crevice. I was trying to find a chink in the chain. I was just trying to find one access point, one open door of sin, one open door of fear, one uncovered thing by the blood of a lamb, one door of mistrust between you and him. But there were no access points. Because the power of the blood sacrifice that he kept bringing before you in advance and in advance and in advance. And the power of the blood put a hedge of protection around Job. Not just Job, his family, his wife, his stuff, his flocks, his land. You can't touch it. It wasn't until God lifted that. The only way Satan could get in at Job and get access to him was God had to lift that hedge of protection. Here's the thing, people of hope. You actually don't have to let the enemy touch anything in your life. It's like whatever you allow to be uncovered, it's uncovered. Whatever door you shut, guess what? It's shut. Whatever door you have open, it's open. Jesus said it like this. Whatever you bind on earth, heaven's going to back you. It'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you release, whatever you loose, whatever you allow on earth, heaven's going to back you up again. It'll be loosed and open on earth. See, you might not realize the enemy doesn't have to touch your home. You don't have to touch your kids, your future, your finances, your thoughts. Because what the blood covers, the destroyer cannot touch. I said what the blood covers, the destroyer cannot touch. New Testament reality, he calls you. A king and a priest over your household. He has given you access to the blood. And he has given you authority to apply the blood. And if you don't do it as a king and a priest in your home, it will not be done. He won't apply it for you. Apply the blood. You are the priest in your home, sir. You are the priest in your home, single mom. Apply the blood. Jesus says to his disciples, as often as you do this blood thing, as often as you do this, uh, this eating thing, referring to eating and drinking, do communion in remembrance of me. He says to his top guys, as often as you drink, do communion. We think, like, I'm going to wait till the end of the month to communion in church. We do it once a month in church. And Jesus is like, as often as you do this, what's he talking about? Eating and drinking. Do this in remembrance of, of my sacrifice and my blood covering and apply the blood. But you can take communion in your home. Again, might feel awkward, might feel weird, might feel uncomfortable. Do it with your family. Do it by yourself. Apply the, and then you tell the enemy, enemy, do you see this parameter? Do you see the parameter of my property, the parameter of my mind, the parameter of my gifts, the parameter of my talents given to me by God himself, the parameter of my influence, the parameter of the vision that God has given me for me and my family? Come on, sweetie. Come on, do you see this? You cannot touch it. And right now, I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus over my mind. I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus over my heart, my soul, my spouse, my marriage, my children, my future, their future. Hands off, enemy. When you take communion, you think it's about some little lame wafer and some wine, baby? He said, take the wafer, take the wine, 
and apply it like it's the blood of Jesus. He said, no, this is my body that was broken for your healing. And this is my blood that was shed for you for your sins. This is not just cute communion. This is protection and power. Job had access. You have access. Apply the blood. Because whatever the blood covers, the destroyer must pass over. I said, whatever the blood covers, the devourer must pass over. Whatever the blood covers, the deceiver must pass over. Plead the blood of Jesus around the parameters and the perimeters of your life. He must pass over. He cannot touch the blood that covers you. So today, we're going to end with these seven points of healing. You guys enjoying week two of this? Man, I'm sweating. I'm excited about it. I'm enjoying giving it to you because I love a, a church that's alive and believes what God says. So you guys want to get seven points of healing. There were seven points of bleeding for our perfect healing and salvation from Jesus when he went to the cross. The first place that Jesus bled was in Gethsemane. It's a garden. In, the, in Gethsemane, the garden, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm afraid that oftentimes believers, they have this access and this freedom through the blood of Jesus, but they forget it or they don't use it, and they always fight with stuff that they don't need to fight anymore. The fight has been finished. The fight has been fixed. And you're always bringing up old stuff that's already done and dealt with. And the submission to the will of God is one of them. You're a bootstrap person. i got to remember to do God's will, and you're always fighting within yourself. Is it my will or God's will? My will or God's will? My will or God's will? I want to do right, but I don't. Do this whole struggle. And the submission of the will of God was so difficult, but it's already been dealt with through Jesus' blood sacrifice. His blood has already covered this dilemma of whose will is going to win. Jesus was in the garden, and he was going through it. I mean, he was going through hell. And he was trying to surrender to the will of God. He said, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And while he's doing that, he has these pores coming out, sweat, 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 that turned into drops of blood. And that blood started to flow out of his sweat veins. And all of a sudden, he's, he's sweating drops of blood. It's the first time the sacrifice starts bleeding. And I'm here to tell you. That when Jesus was crying in that garden and in anguish, he bled there struggling God's will or my will. He bled so that your will could become his will. So you don't have to fight as hard when you belong to him, when you're his kind. It's his will every time. He bled so you don't just have to try to do good, but that your will would want to be good. He bled so that your desires would become his desires. And like David, you could say, God, give me the desires of my heart. Because I want what he wants. I will what he wills. I'm hungry for what he's hungry for. Have your way in my life, Jesus. I'm here to tell you, God didn't just come to clean up your conduct. He came to clean up your willpower. Don't fight battles already been won. He bled for that. Come on, somebody who's saying, God, give me your desires. Raise your hand in this place. God, give me your desires. I receive your blood sacrifice so I don't have to fight internally over and over around the same cycles of sin. The next place he bled was when they plucked out his beard, took a staff and struck him in the face in Caiaphas' courtroom. And he bled from his face. Why? He bled from his image to restore your image. Because most people look in a mirror and they hate who they see back looking at them. 
because somebody somewhere told them they were this or somebody somewhere told them they were that and too many people live by their situation rather than their revelation of who Jesus is and everything's been telling you you're trash, you're garbage, you're not enough, do better, try harder. And Jesus is saying, believe and be transformed. I, I bled for this image battle who you really are. And if things aren't going good, oftentimes people think that they're not a good person. And if they did a bad thing, they think they're a bad person. And they changed their identity. But like the prodigal son who ran away from his father's house and did dumb stuff, he said, I'm in the pig pen slop and just going to come back as an outsider. And the father had to say, you're in the pig pen slop, but you're a son. Just because you're coming from the slop, you are not what you did. You are a son. He had to remind him, you are not what you've been through, boy. You're who your father says you are. You can't undo where you came from. This is your kind. I will always be your father. You will always be my son. Come on, somebody. You've been welcome into the family of God. You can't ever not be a son or a daughter again. I know you did wrong. I know you lost your way, but it doesn't change your identity. Just because you're stupid, just because you're in the slop, doesn't mean you're not a son and a daughter of God. You are not what you did. You are who you are by the grace of God saying, I got you, baby. I picked you. I called you. You are my child. Jesus came with his face bloodied and beaten so that when you look in the mirror, you could actually like who you see and be okay with you internally. And even on your worst day, when you mess up, you have a God that has restored your image. And when God looks at you, he sees his likeness. He sees his son. He sees his blood and his image covering all the shame of your past. And he's going to remind you of who you really are. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am, right? He's going to remind you that you're his. He says, you are my son, and I am your father. Next point of blood poured out for us so we don't have to fight the finished work they whipped his back and he bled out of his back they said that bleeding was for our healing I want you to put your hand on the part of your body that is infirmed right now whatever is in disease or in pain because right now I'm going to plead the blood over you yes it might feel uncomfortable but right now if you know of any sickness in your body the person next to you because right now we want to plead the blood over every tumor This isn't some weird religious activity. This is applying what Jesus has finished for our healing. I plead the blood over blood pressure, high blood pressure. I plead over diabetics right now. Come into order in Jesus' name. We apply the blood of Jesus over cancers, heart disease, joint pain, tissues, ligaments, nerves. Be healed in the name of Jesus because our God paid the price for your physical healing. My aunt had a tumor. God healed her. She had cancer in her body, and she is freed. We prayed for her. She went into the doctors the next day, and she was totally, completely cancer-free. Cancer was there. Prayer, cancer is gone. Blood of Jesus, come on. This is not crazy. His blood still works. His blood still speaks. He bled so that your headaches might go away. He bled so that you don't live with a chronic sinus infection. He bled for something as small as your allergies. 
He bled so you could get your voice back. He bled from his head because he healed your mind. Everybody, let's put our, our hands on our mind and plead the blood of Jesus over our mind. Just like this. I plead your blood over my mind of schizophrenia, the mind of multiple personalities, the mind of depression and anxiety, the mind of insomnia. Come on, just because you can't sleep, Jesus paid the price for your mind to be healed with that crown of thorns. He has paid so you can have his beloved. He gives peace. He gives rest. He healed the mind of discouragement and doubt and unbelief. He healed your mind from fear. I don't care what it is. I don't care what they've diagnosed you with. I don't care what meds you're on. Plead the blood of Jesus over your mind. His blood works. He bled from his hands. Your hands were not made for evil. Not made to hurt. Not made to abuse. You were meant to lay hands on the sick and see the power of God move through you and then recover. Your, your hands are meant to be a blessing to your children. God wants to bless the work of your hands in your business. He wants to bless the work of your hands as you work and everything your hand finds to do. God wants to put his blessing on your hands and through your hands. And that's why he bled from his hands. He bled from his feet because he wanted to bless your walk. For those of you who are frustrated because you see a dream, but you don't know how to access that. You don't know how to walk it out. You know that God's got something great. You know that God has a future and a hope, and he's given something in your heart, but you don't know what step to take next. But I'm here to tell you that because of the blood of Jesus, the steps of a good man, I said the steps of a good man, the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. You can move forward with confidence. You can move forward with creativity, and no good thing will he withhold from those those who walk uprightly, who walk in righteousness, who walk in right standing with God. How do I do that? The blood of Jesus over your walk. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And though I walk through the valley of death and uncertainty and fear, I will fear no evil because the blood has covered my walk. I'm not scared of the next steps of my life and my future with uncertainty. I'm approaching with confidence and competence because of what Christ has done for my walk. He bled for your walk to be sure. He bled for your steps to be solid. He bled for you to move forward in faith thank you Jesus for your blood covering our steps and lastly he bled out of his side they bled out of his side to heal your broken relationships to heal the love that has dried up between you and your spouse between you and yourself to heal that love that got away that died on you or just left you and abandoned you to help you get over the people that you left. He died, he got pierced in his side and his blood flowed out of his side so that you could have healing in relationship. God looked around, he found no suitable helper for the first Adam. Nobody to be joined to him in the garden. So he put him to sleep, he laid him down and he reached into his side and he pulled a bride out of his side. And Jesus, the second Adam, he came and he went to his own and his own received him not they didn't respect him. They didn't love him. So God said, there is no suitable helper for you here, Jesus. So lay down your life. And he laid down the second Adam. And he laid down on a cross. And his side was pierced. And the blood began to flow for the healing in your relationships. And God reached into his son's side and pulled a bride out of his side called the Church of Jesus Christ. And we are the bride of Christ. And we are joint heirs with Jesus. He has pulled something beautiful 
out of something that was incomplete by itself. The blood. Now he wants to co-labor with you as the church. He wants to run with you and work with you like Adam did to Eve, a helper. He wants a helper with the helper to work together. Holy Spirit helper with us helper. He's wanting to be, create something beautiful that has confidence. Nobody wants to be married to somebody so insecure, who hates themselves, who's always beating themselves up, who's always whining and complaining. I want to marry a champion. Jesus wants to marry a champion. He will not be unequally yoked with this church. He will run with champions. He will see people who have his heart, who carry his vision, who carry his spirit, who reach the lost, who care about what he cares about. We are that champion bride of Christ rising up from this end of the earth to say even so Lord Jesus come have your way in us insecure people pick insecure people whole people pick whole people there's nothing deficient about our God let's be in his image my God that's a call to the church let's arise rise up bride of Christ be something beautiful quit being so boring don't be backwards. Be beautiful. Being prepared to marry the awesome, awesome Savior that we love so much. He pulled the bride out of his side to restore relationship, the blood. I want you to hear this. This blood is not just antiquated for your grandma and your grandpa. It's not just some weird thing that people do in church. This blood is for you. And it's power in the life of anyone who will use it. And it is dead in the life to anyone who will not apply it. Because it doesn't make sense, and it's weird, and it's awkward. But it is power and protection to the people of hope who say, I will use it. I will apply it. I will run it every day. Every day. Every night. Every night I go into my boys, I pray with them, I talk to them, I plead the blood of Jesus out loud with them so they get familiar with applying the blood every single night. I plead the blood of, of Jesus over Dave's future, over Dave's gifts, over Dave's talent, over Dave's wife, over Dave's future. He's three years old. I apply the blood of Jesus. Why? He called me a priest. If you don't do it, who will? Mama, if you don't do it, who will? Plead the blood of Jesus. You can call me crazy. Watch the blood produce and protect and preserve my lineage. It's not going to be Nate reproducing after himself. It's going to be the blood of Jesus covering this dysfunctional seed. Come on, Jesus. Save me from my seed. And everybody's clapping too. I don't know if you like that clap. You're clapping too much for my dysfunction. I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. But I am dysfunctional. I really am. And so are you. And we need to get our blood fixed. Thank you, Jesus, for freedom. I was. So today I plead the blood over you. I plead the blood of Jesus over your life. And may a shield of blood encompass you that all of hell cannot penetrate or find a chink in your chain. We're believing that Jesus is going to cover you from top to bottom, all the sides. Everything you touch will be blessed and prosperous. I want Job's life to be your life. Job's reality to be your reality. You are not your kind anymore. You are his kind. Tell your neighbor, I'm of a different kind. One more time as we leave this message. Let's look at James chapter 1, I believe. Or chapter 8, verse 1. Because he wanted to. I would say because he wanted to. Let's get James up there. It's because he wanted to. I'm messing with the, the program team. I'm sorry. But James, I want to read this together as a church. Because he wanted to. Let's read it. Of his own will, he brought us forth. He birthed us again. By the word 
of truth about you. This really is truth. That we might be a kind of his first fruits, just like Jesus was a kind of his creatures. Somebody say yes and amen in this place. Receive it in Jesus' name.